You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hi, everybody. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Mama's Talking Loud. I'm Kara Cooper. And I'm Jessica Rush. And today we're talking to the maestra herself, Georgia Stitt. Hi, everybody. Welcome to this episode of Mama's Talking Loud. I'm Kara Cooper. And I'm Jessica Rush. And today we've got the award-winning composer, lyricist, and all-around musical woman extraordinaire, Georgia Stitt. Hi. That's quite an introduction. Oh, okay. well, <laughs> wow. you know, you deserve it. I I'll think take it's fabulous. Guess, clearly. <laughs> For sure. Um, Georgia is here with us, and she has two daughters. I, I mean, do. but we can jump right in. But Georgia, you might know her from any, you have two CDs with another one coming out. I have two correct? CDs and a song cycle, three recordings out, and, um, and a fourth one coming out in April. Awesome. Wow. Fantastic. And she... Uh, is an award-winning composer of several shows. Most recently, is Snow Child the most recent one? Snow Child is the most recent one to be produced, yeah. Yeah, at Arena Stage Arena with Stage. Matt Bogart, who yes. you know, and Christiane Knoll. And, um, and she is mom to Molly and Susanna and what married to Jason Robert Brown, who you may have heard of. He might have yeah. heard of him. Maybe. <laughs> He's a little known. But tell He's us- going to be on Daddy's Talking Loud. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> they need that one. Um, all of us, of course, the mamas are forward thinking, right? Um, <laughs> As usual. Yes. Um, Molly is, oh my gosh, 14. Molly is 14. Yes. And she, um, she has aspirations to do what you two do, to be oh. a musical theater, singer, dancer, actor, mm. possibly director. You know, she's she, in performing arts high school. She right? is. Yep. Yep. Amazing. She is. Yeah. That's fantastic. What's and I, that and, like for you. Well, it's, um, I mean, it's full on that she's in the right place. I mean, it's very exciting when you, raise a, an artist child, it, it, for me, it took a while to figure out how to educate her. Like mm-hmm. I had visions of sending her to the most she-she private schools in Manhattan. And, um, and she just was, she had this artist spirit. And so when we, um, we found a performing arts high school that was the right fit for her, she just blossomed and became more of who she is. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think back to that, that's what my parents did. I grew up in Tennessee and I was this pianist kid in a town where no one else knew except my piano teacher no one else had any idea what to do with that and they you know it was before the internet you can't just google like what to do with a talented (laughs) child um but I remember my parents trying to figure it out and trying to figure out how to um educate me and support me and where to send me in the summer and that sort of thing and I thought okay so we'll do the same thing we'll do the same thing for Molly and then Susanna is 10 and is also talented and um interested in lots of performing arts things uh, she's in her first musical right now. It's sort of too early to know whether she's going right. to be that right. kid, that performing mm-hmm. arts high school kid or not. But she plays the piano and she does gymnastics and she um, writes little stories. She has a typewriter. She oh, typewriter! <laughs> oh my gosh, it's typewriter! Amazing. Oh my gosh, I love a that. real typewriter. I mean, I it's not that. surprising that you have creative children, just given their genes. I mean, right, right. Well, I mean, we've always said that uh, we call it the family business and, um, and that they, I think for years they thought everyone does this. Everyone Mm -hmm. who comes into our house sings or writes or, you know, dances or something. Everyone who they know, um, is, is gifted and talented in some way. And, and so I, I thought if, if she's, if either of them is going to be like an Olympic bobsledder, we'd never know. (laughs) Right. Like they just (laughs) never do do with you. Right. It's not even on their radar. Right. 
Oh my um, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure. It's uh it's so interesting to because I see you guys, you know, you guys will post about um there was something recently where I feel like Jason might have even posted it about how he needed he's writing something and he wanted to hear it and the girls sang it for them, or maybe it was you. Yeah, it was well, one of you. I can't remember. There have been several occasions in the last six months where um it has actually become valuable that we have <laughs> yeah. a family that has young people that can sing in harmony and read music and that sort of thing. So Jason, yeah, Jason made a demo a few weeks ago, maybe only a week ago, um, and really needs needs someone who could sight sing a harmony part and you know and record on a microphone in our home studio and sing along with him. And Molly was home and he was like, "Hey, Molly, come try this," and she nailed it. Amazing. And then uh, for New Year's Eve, we performed at the Cathedral St. John the Divine. Jason wrote a piece. Um, for the family, for all of us. And it was in several parts, Harmony, oh. and we memorized it and practiced that it together. Like, magical. In the oh. car. And <laughs> that sounds so special. It is I a know, very really. amazing thing to have that. Um, yeah. And we have uh, the nerdiest little games where we like sing chords. Everybody sing a harmony. And, you know, mm -hmm. so they, that gives me so much anxiety. Like, like <laughs> you just said that. I was like, Oh God. Oh God. My, my, it sounds like my husband, my husband's one of six kids who have all been on Broadway. Mm -hmm. wow. And at one time or another, I think that's what they would do on long car rides. They'd all like sing in the back and they yeah. try to harmonize and, uh, and they still do it. Like we're, we have them all over at our house for Christmas or whatever. And it's just who they are. You know what I mean? It, yeah, so what a beautiful a, gift that, well, you know. we, I mean, first of all, we call ourselves the Von Browns. Not really, but <laughs> <laughs> as we were rehearsing for New Year's Eve, we were like, and we're turning into the Von Browns. Um, but also, I think the thing that we said early on was uh, if our family spoke a second language, our kids would speak that second language. You know, we would yeah. just all be fluent mm -hmm. in that. And our family speaks music. Mm -hmm. And so whether the kids become musicians or not, it was important to both of us that they speak music. One of our earliest dates, Jason and I went on a date, and um, we went to the symphony and heard a Charles Ives piece played by the orchestra. And Charles Ives is an American composer who's famous for putting jokes in his music. Like mm. he'll quote other things and um, put things together that if you're if you're musically literate and you you get the references, they're funny. Mm. And so Jason and I both laughed at the same moment. Something went by and we both laughed and we looked at each other like, wait a minute, oh. <laughs> you speak this language too? I never oh, wow. dated anyone who spoke that language, nor had he. Um, and so we we're like, okay, well, we want our kids to get the jokes too. Yeah. We want them to be able to sightseeing and be able to play the piano. That's and even awesome. if they go off and major in biology or whatever. Right. Yeah. Well, it only I'm enhances snubbing their my life. nose. Right. Like, exactly. They want to be doctors <laughs> I mean, or lawyers or something. How, how dare they? Right. It's like such artist life, though. You know. Those When you do grow up in a household that that's all you do, you know, yeah. you do get to that point where you're like, why? Why would you want to do that? I mean, <laughs> the hours are not better, but the money is better for sure. <laughs> Everything is, yes. It's just, yes. A little more stability. Yeah, but exactly. You see, there was Maybe a, not as much fun. There was fun. an article, a press article. Sarah Bareilles apparently did an interview where she said theater people work harder for I less money than mm -hmm. anyone else. Than anyone I saw else. that and I was like, is that, is that good or bad? Do, do we, <laughs> right. Am I ashamed right. or proud? I do I need to take a reevaluation of my life? <laughs> exactly. I remember talking to a friend of mine who is a surgeon, a pediatric surgeon, separates conjoined twins. He's wow. very well known. Yeah, huge in LA. And I was doing a reading that week and I said, oh, it's 29 hour reading and we get a stipend. He's like, so what do you get paid? And I was like, oh, they give us a hundred dollars. <laughs> and literally as I, that's sort of what I did. Like as I said it, it clicked, but I was like, I'm telling a surgeon who gets paid <laughs> probably a hundred dollars a second that I'm being paid a hundred dollars for 29 hours of my time. And he was like, that's not even minimum wage. I was like, yeah, that's, yeah, I know. That's, that's what correct. we do. It's the investment. It's correct. the investment. So anyway, no, it's, oh my goodness. that was a little, you can't bit. really look at it. Clearly. No, no, you can't. No, you, really can't. you have to think of your passion love. and the I love. Mean, exactly. And what it gives back to you. Exactly. Yeah. Um, 
Go ahead. You're, I mean, I think it's incredible you're talking about your work and how now that involves your children, right? You can bounce it, things off of them sometimes in some, it does. In yes. some ways. Yep. How, when you first became a mom, how was it finding time to write, finding, carving out the time to be creative? How did you oh, manage the that? Stuff. <laughs> well, because you're at a different point right now, and, and I think you're the first, uh, you are the first composer we've had on yep. the show, so mm-hmm. I think it's a really different thing. You know, we go into rehearsal, we have set hours, like, I know I'm going to be away, and yes, I need to work on my material for the day or work on auditions, but you need time. You need time to create and setting those boundaries when you're a mom is hard to do, especially yes, when you have is. young kids. Uh, um, I'd, I'd say the first few years after um, Molly, the older one, was born, I did have the panic of, um, I'm never going to work again. Like, mm-hmm. I, I've lost my career. It's never going to happen. And very early on, we, Jason and I had some very serious conversations about um, about money and about what comes in and what goes out. And, and we decided together that hiring a babysitter for several hours a week was just a career expense. Mm-hmm. That... Um, that even in the weeks where I spent more on the babysitter than I brought in, it was valuable to keep that from happening. And when I talk about that now, I recognize that it comes from a place of privilege. Like you have to, you have to have some money to be able to do that. Um, and in those years, and then I wrestled with the fact that basically Jason was subsidizing my career. It felt mm-hmm. very small thinking about that. And yet, had we not done it, I, I'm not sure how I would ever have bounced back. Um, so it was a it was a big investment in time. And I remember at the beginning thinking like, okay, I'll hire a babysitter for two and a half hours on Tuesday and for one hour on Thursday. And, the, mm. and then finally we were like, what if they just come? <laughs> what yeah. if they just come like three hours a day, Monday to Friday or something? Mm. And that's my writing time and I don't schedule any meetings. And um, and it has never been as regular as that. I mean, the, the life of a freelancer is that – I never do the same thing every Tuesday or every, right. you know, mm-hmm. um, but I have always um, uh, uh, known that that time was important and worth paying for, for yeah. me. And then uh, when they go to school, suddenly you get your time back mm-hmm. in, a, in a way that is beautiful for you, the the, um, the professional, and difficult for you, the mom, mm-hmm. the, you, the parent. Um because you just send them off and you're like, okay, well, somebody else is yeah. yep. teaching them everything now, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, but but once once that balance starts to come in, I you know I now just to be really blunt, they're in school until three or three thirty, and then we have an after school nanny that works three thirty to eight usually, mm-hmm. Monday to Friday, and that's where we spend our money. And that means that I know I can I can live like a normal person. I can schedule a meeting at four o'clock. I can have a lunch date that goes long. I can mm-hmm. you know that sort of thing. I can have a ten to six rehearsal day. Um, and that's covered. And then everybody, I mean, our nanny is a performer. She's a (laughs) musical theater Mm -hmm. person. And so she gets it and we all get it and everything changes. And sometimes Mm -hmm. you have to stay late and sometimes you're done early and that's Mm -hmm. how that works. Um, but those are the, those are the ways that we have made it work in our life is just, there's like, whatever your family budget is, there's a line item for help Mm -hmm. because, um, because I could not do it alone. And Jason is very, um, present and very helpful, but he also is busy, as you yeah. know. Like he can't do it alone either. Mm-hmm. So there are times when each of us picks up the slack, but there's a there's like a third person in the team. Yeah, I mean, because I would think it. It I know how hard it is just to get stuff done that I need to to keep our house running. Yeah. Much oh, yeah. less keep life sit down and be creative and have my thoughts and 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 
create something out of nothing. You know, well, the there. thoughts happen all the time. You know, mm-hmm. you can be doing the housework mm-hmm. or the yeah. whatever life management stuff you have to do and still be thinking. And Jason and I often both talk about how a lot of the work that we do is invisible. There are times where we're talking and I say, are you composing right now? And he says, yes, because <laughs> you can just feel him like go off. And <laughs> I'm like, okay. Um, and then when you actually have the hours, you sit down and you play it on the piano or you write the sheet music or you, but you really are creating a lot of it in your head. Mm. Um, um, and so that feels like it can happen so long as they can focus, you know, that can right. happen on the train that can happen yeah. in the middle of a conversation with somebody. <laughs> um, uh, but the actual sitting down and doing it is takes time. And for me, it takes quiet like that. You, I can't do it in a coffee no. shop or, no. you know, no. on a train. I'm the same I can't way. imagine. I, well, and when you guys first, when you had Molly, you were in LA. That's right. Because I actually babysat where we met. Molly. We met there. <laughs> That's we right. met and I babysat for you a couple times um, and when Molly was really small. And then you moved back here before Susanna was born. No, right? she was born in Los Angeles. Oh, too. she was. Yep. Oh, OK. Yeah. What was was there an impetus yeah, was for m- moving from L.A. or did you guys? There just... was. Well, um, when we moved, we lived in New York first for a decade and then we and we met and fell in love and got married in New York. And then we moved to Los Angeles on a big adventure um, and we were there for eight years, had both of the children in L.A. Mm-hmm. And um, in those eight years, Jason's career continued to grow, and he was flying back and forth, um, building shows. 13 was happening. Bridges mm-hmm. of Madison County was happening. All of that was happening. And I was at home with babies and was finding it harder to um, – I was finding it harder to get on a plane. You know, it was much harder for me to think I'm going to go to New York and do a, a week long workshop. I have infant. I right. have an infant at home, and um, and I so I started doing more film and TV work in Los Angeles, and I became kind of vocal coach to the stars. And I worked on a lot of reality TV shows and was teaching actors music when they needed to audition for musical films and that sort of thing. Um, and I I found myself uh, going to the studio every day and uh, working um, in music production. And I thought, this is there's a job opportunity here. There's a career path here. But it's not theater. It's not Broadway. It's not what I signed up to do. Mm-hmm. And I'm not writing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it, in L.A., anytime I tried to put on a cabaret or do my own music, it was just really hard to find the audience and get people to show up and yeah, drive and park. I mean, L.A., <laughs> it's not a theater town. No, so, right. you know, it is a struggle, I think, out there. And I started to think if I if we were going to stay in L.A., uh, I was starting to look at what the options might be if I became more of a classical musician. Like if I wrote choral music and um, the uh, the L.A. Master Chorale and the Los Angeles Philharmonic and those organizations are thriving and there's an amazing classical music community in Los Angeles but I couldn't find the theater community mm-hmm. or I mean I there were there a few people you and, yeah oh, sorry I just bumped the microphone you and I there we found the theater community um for a while but then it started to feel like I don't know how to grow in mm-hmm. this yeah, community. it's finite it's not what it is yet. yeah and so that became the became the conversation about moving back and it's a lifestyle shift you know we had a house and we had two cars and three strollers and a dog like we yeah. <laughs> it's a big yeah. shift cuz i feel like i've done the opposite cuz we moved out of new york into the suburbs and so we did it the opposite way but i can't imagine the going back like moving into a smaller space and not having you know more space for two kids yeah well we uh, we did move into a smaller space we um they were seven and three when we moved back. Okay. And um, so we had just gotten out of really the stroller phase right. uh, and the diaper phase. And I was like, okay, this feels like as good a time to do it as any. Um, so I never had to, I mean, except when I was visiting, I really never had to take a stroller up and down the subway stairs, right. that <laughs> which is, is the definition of a New York parent. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was the one thing I remember saying to Eric. I was like, when we move, 
when we have the baby, we have to move because I am not living by a subway station without an elevator with a baby and a stroller. And then success. I d- and then you did. Exactly. And then I did because <laughs> there are only so many subway stations with elevator accessibility, MTA. Sorry. <laughs> no, so, I'm sure they're listening to our exactly. podcast. <laughs> but it is a, a huge adjustment. I mean, quality of life in LA and the sunshine and the weather versus, you know. However, there's something, you know, Eric is from Southern California and we met out there and he always talks about how the energy is so different in New York. You know, he said in LA, you're just living and doing your thing. He's like, here, there's always something happening, always going on. Like you were saying, you would try to do your cabarets and with your music and it was hard to find an audience and here there are audiences. Oh my God. Yeah, for sure. And I am one of the defining this, the way I tell the story is when I was, I would do coachings, musical coachings for actors in Los Angeles and people would come in for a coaching and they'd be like, Oh, it feels so good to sing. I haven't sung in so long. Thank you. It's so, I feel so renewed having worked on this music. And in New York, you do a coaching and they're like, okay, I have three, yep. three more right. auditions today and <laughs> exactly. then I have a half hour. And so I'm warmed up already. Yeah. <laughs> How can we fit this in? <laughs> yes, mm-hmm. exactly. Exactly. Um, so you came to New York and then started to have time of your own again, right? A little more. And the girls started school and that shifts everything. And um, recently, I've known, I know that you've become... Well, in the last few years, uh, a little more vocal politically with regard to visibility and women in positions of power and women empowerment and, and as artists as well. And um, can you speak to maybe what drove you to create Maestro Music and tell us a little about that? Well, it's interesting that you asked that today because I, um, at your show at Tina, I just met Hillary Clinton. Yeah, we <laughs> I did. I can't believe I can say that. <laughs> um, we but- did. I came backstage after your show and got to shake her hand and meet her. And I told her in person, such a gift to be able to do that. I told her that um, I started Maestra in um, 2017, for sure as a result of the election Mm -hmm. and just the despair that I felt and most of the women I know felt um, at how close uh, we had come to being able to see a woman in that kind of powerful position and Mm -hmm. then how... I mean, I'll just say it felt like she was robbed from yeah. something oh, that was yeah, for sure. in, that was hers, yeah. mm-hmm. rightfully hers. Um, and and so I think, like many other women, I was like, "What can I do? What can I do?" And I thought, "All right, well, let's. What can I do in my industry? What can mm-hmm. I do it, uh, with the people I know?" And that coincided with um, an experience I had right at the same time. I was music directing Sweet Charity off Broadway at the New Group, and Sutton Foster was Charity, and Lee Silverman was a director. Um, Mary Mitchell Campbell was the orchestrator. Women, and women, women. Yay. Exactly. And I was the music director. And um, and Lee asked us to hire an all-female band because the band was going to be visible on stage. And she said she wanted us to feel like we were an extension of the girls in Charity's dressing room. Mm-hmm. And this exactly this thing is the way girls women talk in dressing rooms mm-hmm. and this sort of shorthand that you have feels different the minute a man walks into the room. Um, and and she said that that's the whole world I want to create for charity, that when charity goes out into the world, she has to put on a different kind of armor than she does when she's in her safe space. Mm-hmm. So I want, when the lights are up, to just see women there. And we're like, well, that makes that's, sense. Yeah, that's great. That's yeah. great dramaturgy. I've never been asked to hire based on that kind of dramaturgy, but fine. And then Mary Mitchell and I had to hire six musicians. Well, I was one, so five musicians, um, all female, and she asked that they be racially diverse too and it was so hard, hard. I knew that's so what you were going to say to find them. it took us uh, months and I mean literally we were googling 
woman guitar player in New York City. Like, yeah. <laughs> because we went we went through our rosters of who we used, and um, they were mostly men, like our guys. We all, when you hire a band, you hire your guys, mm-hmm. and um, and then we we had a few women, but they were working. Mm-hmm. Like there was a woman in the pit of waitress. There were a few off Broadway shows that had women guitarists. I'm talking about guitarists because that was literally the hardest position to fill, um, and. Um, uh, and so finally we asked our we asked our male friends who their subs were, who their students were, and they only had one or two and wow. they weren't available. And then finally we called um, one of the female guitar players and we were like, who are your colleagues? Who are yours? Yeah. I know you're not available, but who are your colleagues? And she had a huge list. Mm. And um, and we had the contractors. So in. interesting that she had a list of women, yes. but your male friends only had like two people. That's two correct. Two women. Mm-hmm. That, I mean, that was yeah. exactly what the, the, the turning the impetus, point, the yeah. tipping point for yeah. me. Um, and so I thought, okay, now I have this list. I started an ex- Excel document of um, who who the people were that were being recommended. I was like, now I have this list. And meanwhile, I was on Facebook asking, like, who are the women music directors that we should know? Like, who? And that list got really long. People kept recommending things. And I was mm-hmm. like, I'm becoming the resource for, I'm the collector of names. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I thought I should, this should be more than just a, a Facebook group. And so I, um, I, I hired someone and started a website and built the database. And then I invited all the female composers that I know to get together and have a cocktail party. And I was like, we should just know each other and we should be able to recommend each other for things. I should know what your music is and not just feel like I'm competitive with you, yeah, but right. you know that there's room for all of us. So often we're the only woman in the room or the only woman on the list. But my experience with Mary Mitchell Campbell has been two decades of having each other's backs. I'm mm-hmm. really like, I can't do this, but you should do it. I'm going to recommend you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I just started to identify lots of other ways at the same time that um, that, that us being a, a stronger network and having visibility as a network would benefit everybody. So I so we became a not for profit called Maestro because Maestro is the word right. for the conductor or the head of the music department. And when I type into my computer the feminine version of it as Maestro, and when I type that into my computer, it says, "Oh, you must mean Maestro." And uh, it autocorrects it back. Oh. I mean, and I was like, our goal is even to, in our computers. I know, right? <laughs> Come on, <laughs> it's yeah to just make it. Almost every time I've ever conducted, or Mary Mitchell says when she's conducted, uh, several of the women in our network say, uh, somebody in the audience comes up and says something like, oh, I've never seen a lady conductor before, or it's so nice to see a woman, and which are, seem like very supportive comments. And yet, I think, why have you never seen a woman before? Mm-hmm. This is not a gendered job. Exactly. Right. I mean, they, the, the press release about the female conductor on the Oscars, first time ever. 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 How is in that? In 2020. How is that the reality? Because people hire their guys. You mm-hmm. just hire the people who've done it before. And so when we really look at the issue, we're like, if you're just hiring the people who've done it before, where's the entry point? Where's mm-hmm. the access point? What's keeping the women from entry? Mm-hmm. So that's what we're starting to look at. Well, Statistical like s- research and educational and I'm sorry. I no, 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 <laughs> please. On a roll now. please but, you, but like we have one of the women on our advisory board is a professional flute player. She's a union uh, here in New York City. And she told me a story that when she was in the fourth or fifth grade, you know, when you are in the band and they say, what mm. instrument do you want to pick? She said, I want to be a drummer. Mm. And her band director said, no, 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 the boys are drummers. You should play the flute. And she said, okay. Ugh. And now she's a professional flute player and mm-hmm. she makes her living and she loves the flute. That's great. But she said, I often think. Who would I be if I was a drummer? Why did he get to decide? It makes me see flames. It makes me so mad. Well, and it's so interesting because, like, I asked Elliot if she wanted to learn to play anything. And for the last two and a half years, every time she answers, drums. And she's got to do it. Right? I have a lot of drummers who could teach her. Awesome. Because Eric's here for it. Yep. 
No question. And I am as well. You know, he's like, how awesome a girl drummer. I was like, I know. But even just the fact that he, he says it like it's a, like it's a really, it's a novelty because it is, but it's, um, she never says, you know, her, my mother-in-law got her a keyboard for Christmas a couple of years ago. She occasionally like plunks something, you know what I mean? Like she, but drums, she's always got a beat going. She likes the rhythm and she loves it. That's That's the one thing. And I've, I've said, what about a trumpet or, you know, something, a violin, no drums. I love it. Yeah, so, so yeah. So get her all the support, get her, get her lessons, yeah. get her all the support, get her like little toy drums that she can bang on right now. Yeah. And there are YouTube videos and like get her. And then at some point you'll check in and say, is this working? Is this, cause some, some people choose an instrument that's a gateway to another instrument. Mm. Like I actually, like my older daughter, Molly recently asked for a guitar and said she wanted to learn the guitar. And I thought, Oh, I see a path where maybe piano was her gateway instrument mm-hmm. that taught mm-hmm. her how to read music and music theory and that, and accompany herself for musical theater things. But right. that really she's what she is going to be as a guitarist. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know what yeah. she's going to be, but, um, but it, sometimes you find an instrument that leads you to another instrument. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good for Molly for knowing how to play the piano, because when the time comes, oh, when she's in college or whatever, and everyone's like, I need to work on this song. She could, hello. For sure. Side, Side biz. Job. For I sure. always say, I always am so, I was like, I wish I'd learned to play the piano. It would have been I so wish I helpful quit. I had so like the skills in the beginning and I just. Well, that's, I mean, she has asked to quit many times. Both mm-hmm. of my children have asked to quit. I asked to quit. I told my mother I didn't like it and I wanted to quit. And my, at the, when I was in piano lessons, we had a year long structure that resulted in like some competitions and recitals and things at the end. And she said, we've committed to the year. This must've been like November, December. And mm-hmm. she said, we've committed to the year. You're going to see it through and you're going to do the recital. And then over the summer, if you want to quit, you can quit. But we're, I felt like she was trying to teach me about commitment, mm-hmm. about like we've made this promise right. and we're going to see it through. And by the time we got through that, I didn't want to quit anymore. And I thought, oh, that is to me the greater pian- uh, parenting lesson was that, um, that like just stick it out because you committed to something. Mm-hmm. And in my case, it allowed me to get through the like, this is it's hard. hard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And I yep. and I don't like practicing every day. And I don't like practicing and not feeling myself get better mm-hmm. and not being good at something. And I think we are, uh, um, we want quick results for things. And music especially is something that the more you commit to it and the more discipline you have in practicing it, the more you see results. But it's not like you can watch a YouTube video and suddenly be an expert. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. No, right. not at all. It takes time. And I, I noticed that about you know, about Elliot, it's even with, you know, the minute something is hard, she wants to just give up. It's a constant battle to, and I think that's probably something parents have been doing forever, right? Yeah. Is telling your kid, like, keep trying, keep going. It will get easier only with the practice. You know? And there are things like reading. We make them keep going. We mm-hmm. don't let anyone say reading is hard. Okay, well, then we won't do it. Right, right Potty right. training is like, we don't say, okay, well, then we won't do it. <laughs> then you can wear a diaper. When, yeah. <laughs> there are things that are, and both of those things, I think, it, well, maybe not. In some cases, you, like in reading, you definitely have to put in the work. You don't just automatically learn to read. I right. do think we probably do automatically learn how to be potty trained right. eventually. Eventually. I guess. Um but but I think it's just about what society values that, mm. you know, learning languages takes time and um, and learning music takes time. Yeah. Mm. But I love the the lesson of commitment. Mm-hmm. I mean, from that's that's the takeaway. Yeah. It's like this is we made this plan and you have to see it through. And if you don't want to do it after that. And there's that's a fine. there's an exit ramp. You know, right. if exactly. you get to there and then you're done, then you can be done. Yeah. Right. But hopefully over time while they're pushing through that then they grow to love it or, you know, or they don't. Or they grow or to they love don't. something else, whatever it <laughs> and is. And they're they like, can see I tried it, mom, so clearly. now I want to do something And then they different. feel proud that they finished the commitment and yeah. they, fine, I did exactly. that and now I'm going to go mm-hmm. play golf. And gives them the tenacity to <laughs> stay with other <laughs> things. <laughs> 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 Imagine. My poor brother something tried. Something is far like, away from. Oh my God. <laughs> 
<laughs> Sorry, my mic just flew into the air. Um, my brother tried all kinds of things. Like, now, you know, my dad was a theater teacher. My mother went to school for theater, te- is a special ed teacher, but we were always doing community theater. And my brother tried swimming at one point. He tried uh, Little League. He tried basketball. And all those things lasted for maybe six months. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And then what does he do? He, he started a theater school for kids in Massachusetts. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like this is just, uh, there comes a point where sometimes you just realize maybe it's in the genes for sure. Yeah. And what, what, you know, you know, what you've yeah. been surrounded by. Yeah. Have you found that people use your database a lot? Do people come to you? Because, you know, I think about, um, Rachel Chafkin's, uh, acceptance speech at the Tonys and mm-hmm. how she talks about women in positions of creative power and mm-hmm. how it's a pipeline issue. And that's what you were talking about, trying to find educational um, opportunities for women and how you yourself, when you needed to furnish an entire female band, it was impossibly hard. So do you then, uh, do you find yourself giving that information to other people? Do you find people even wanting that information? I do. I, they do want it. I mean, the it feels like the culture is shifting and people are looking. Um, so much so that there's a little bit of a backlash even from um, mm. – you know, I have a, a friend, a male drummer friend who said, I'm all for it. I'm all for these women should, I get it, I understand, but I'm working less because more and more people are saying, um, oh yeah, no, we want, we need to hire more women in the band. And and I wrestle with that because I'm like, I am, I know, I know that that's hard and I don't want to take money out of your pocket. And yet, and yet <laughs> welcome those women to the weren't club, even, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, yes, and but that's that's a sidebar to what you were saying. Yes, people are using the database. Um, we call it the directory, the Maestro directory. It's on the Maestro website, which is maestromusic.org. Holla. <laughs> and um, if you click on directory, it takes you. Uh, basically, there are all these search filters. Like you can say, I'm looking for a female drummer who is a member of the union who knows how to use this software and works in Washington D.C. And boom, all the people that have chosen those uh, mm-hmm. filters turn up then you still have to do the research you still have to click on there like we're we're a portal like you can click out onto people's websites or you can look at their social media and you can read their bio and that sort of thing but if you want to watch videos or you want to you know dig deeper into who they are you have to you have to go further um but at least we give you a starting point because what we say is i don't ever want to hear we wanted to hire a woman we just couldn't find her right we we didn't know where to look Mm -hmm. like we now you know where to look and, um, and and there are hundreds, right? How many? Do there are you, um, almost a thousand right oh, now women. Wow, that's and it's amazing. It yeah. started out really in just the New York network, but very quickly it spread to like women who work in pits or music direct elsewhere. And certainly, as the women I know were going out on tour, they were saying to the local musicians, "Like, join the directory, join yeah, the directory." Yeah. And then we have a, a sister organization in London, and so the, the started to spread in the UK. And then we just got emails a little while ago from a, a group of women in Australia that said, "We want to help, and can we get involved?" So we have these Facebook community groups now. We have like Maestro Music Australia, and we have Maestro Music UK, and we have um, we have uh, Nashville, and we have Southern California, and we have the Midwest, Chicago area. And so these networks where people who are not New York musicians can say, "We love what you're doing. We just want to apply it to our community, you right. know, because our needs yeah. are different from your needs." Clearly, and um, and I'm hoping that the directory feels global in that way. I mean, I'd say it's mostly national right now, but it's starting to feel a little bit global, at least English speaking global. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think so many of us are global in the work we do. You do a show in New York, you do a show in London, you do a national tour, you go out of town mm-hmm. to La Jolla and you do something in Southern California, you know, right. like we, and, um, and we have started to get feedback. Uh, one of the best emails that I got was from, uh, 
I, uh, she's given me permission to tell this story, but Sammy Canold has wrote she, that she was doing a, a show, I think it was in Southern California, and she said to the theater, we want a female music director. And they said, we don't know who that is in this region. And she went to the maestro directory and found several and printed out their names and delivered it to the theater and said, hire one of these women. And they did. Oh, well, good. I know. I thought it, <laughs> I was I was worried. Am I not right, going that the way? end of the story? Mm, yeah. Right. And she said, and she's great. And she, you know, and often when you get to the other side of that barrier, as as happened in Sweet Charity, the person says, I've been trying to figure out how to break in and I couldn't yeah. figure out who was going to give me a break. I mm-hmm. couldn't figure out who was going to hire me the first time. And once you've been hired, then then you've got that on your resume and you've, you're starting to have the network. But it really, in many cases, is that first break. That like, first I don't know where to start. Yeah. I mean, well, it's, it's the same thing for actors. It's like kind of that first break into the Broadway world or whatever. But you know, there have to be female characters and male characters so that the gender isn't an issue for us. I can't imagine that how hard it must be to break that barrier and frustrating. Yeah. If you don't know someone, I mean, I think that there are people who are, you know, you you come out of college and your teacher's working in this business and your teacher recommends you for something or you happen to know a contractor or you happen to know a music director or something, you know, just like any business. There are mm-hmm. people who are like, oh, great, I had an easy way in. But if you don't know that, if you're just a, a woman who plays an instrument in a town that doesn't have a big theater, theater community and you're like I'd like to figure out how to do this professionally where's the support where's right. the network right and so I, we're trying to provide that well and I really think it does come down to and you know this is something we've talked about before with um with regards to just women in power is having I mean what it says about the the project that you're working on but in general that if there is a woman leading the charge at the top if she's making the decisions mm-hmm. then that bodes well for everyone. I mean, it's just, and that's where it comes from, right? That just, then she can hire the women, you know? Yeah. And I I mean, I think it's important for me to say out loud that I don't think women always hire women. You know, I don't think it's that. No, totally. um, That I certainly have many fantastic male musicians that are But the thought is there. Go-to guys. Yeah. No, totally. Yeah, but the idea that you're aware of, of aware and trying to make space for people. Um, And I think part of our job is to, um, is to change the way that uh, the men who are in leadership think about Mm -hmm. it, you know, not, not just to say by no means do I think men are the enemy or Mm -hmm. that men don't deserve support too. But that, um, but that the world is that, that, that this part of the industry doesn't need to be quite so gendered. Right. For sure. I feel like, like women in conservatories who are studying an instrument or, you know, writing music, I feel like your maestro music must be such a great resource. Like they should be knocking down your door when they, they graduate the, to be like, put right. me in the, put put me me in the, the list. College students are starting to join the directory. So yeah. we, like on the board, we've been having conversations about how do we support them? You know, they should know each other. Yeah. Instead of like, is there a network that we can build for, I don't know what the maestro mm-hmm. college, maestro student, maestro yeah, right. future, my, I don't know, something. Um, but the, that they can start to be associated with each other. Like, I live in Cincinnati and I'm a music director. I live in Seattle and I'm a music director. Well, let's move to New York together and be roommates, you know, or however that works. Yeah. Um, I just think how amazing it would be to be a part of that. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. The visibility. Yeah. For sure. Being um, a mother in this business, I mean, sort of, a lot of times, you know, being a woman can be a hard um, sort of like not, I don't want to say a detriment, but it is difficult as we've just been speaking about to be visible and to get in the room. Did you find once you became a mom that maybe people thought differently? A lot of times we say like in an audition for 
what we do as actors, they'll say, oh, well, she's a mom. She's not going to take that job. Mm. Or have you encountered much of that? Or, or do people seem to maybe think on a different level with regard to the fact that being a composer and a lyricist um, and that you can do your job sort of anywhere, maybe they don't think as much about the fact that you would have to compartmentalize? I think I've come to the other side of it now. Mm. I don't I don't think people put me in that category like oh she won't do that. She right. won't cuz she's a mom because my kids are older. And I, I do think there are lots of there are more women in power who have older kids now that mm. have sort of crossed that hurdle. What I really remember is when I had little kids, I remember being very aware of being at events with Jason and people would say to him, how's your work? What are you working on? What are your projects? And they would say to me, how are your kids? Mm. Um, and nobody was asking me about my work. Mm. And, um, and the other thing I remember is that we would go out, like we would go out to dinner with other couples and, and oftentimes the male in the other couple was a musician and Jason and the, the guy would wind up talking work and I would wind up talking house and kids wow. and, and, you know, mm-hmm. whatever female things <laughs> with mm-hmm. the other mom and trying to keep an ear into that conversation that yeah. the men were having. Cause mm-hmm. I was like, that's my, that's my business and that's right. my industry. And they're talking about people that I know and, um, why am I not part of that? Um, and so I think that was for me, what was really frustrating in the early years and what felt like a, a, a hurdle that I had to cr- jump that he didn't have to jump. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I got to a point where I said, I'm not going to talk about my kids in interviews anymore. I just, you know, if they ask me, I'm going to I'm gonna say they're great, thank you, and move on and mm-hmm. keep it. And then that started to feel false. You know, it's been 14 yeah. years of trying to figure out how to handle this. And then that started to feel false. And I was like, well, I don't want to deny mm-hmm. that I'm a mother. And then um, recently there have been more and more articles about invisible parenting, about how detrimental it is to not talk about your work right. and to not how um, – so I started to think it was important to younger mothers to – to just talk about it and be present. But I I do think I continue to wrestle with um, how much does it, how much does it help those women? How much is it holding me back? Mm-hmm. Um, Shelley Williams is a director and she said to me recently that she got wind of somebody saying that, um, oh, Shelley's not going to do that because she's got kids. She wouldn't do that. And she, you could just see the flames yeah, come out of right. her head. <laughs> exactly. And she was like, so I bent over backwards to prove that I would. And I went out of town and I took that job and I showed them. Right, <laughs> you know? I know. And they and probably that, didn't even like take note of it though. Do you know what ultimately, I feel like they probably were like, Oh, cool. She she's made it Yeah, great. Yeah, <laughs> knowing none of the hoops she had to jump through right, right. to exactly. do it. Exactly. Right. No one's asking, you know, if the hubs is going to, you know, go right. out. For or, sure. Yeah. yeah. It's just always such a given. It's so ingrained, you know, with regard to all of it. But I think more and more I'm seeing it. Like uh, my music publisher is a dad and um, there was a whole conversation about a, a corporate something that was going to happen on Saturday. And he said, can we not do it on Saturday? My kids have soccer games. Uh, yeah, that's awesome. And I thought that uh, that I, you know, that that's not a thing that would have happened in the right. past. No. Totally. The conversation is definitely shifting. And I think that when we have men and women who are parents in positions of power who make it a, who make their lives a priority outside of their work, um, as well as paying attention, but just to say, to set those boundaries and say, you know what, I have this thing with my kid, so I can't do it that day. That we were, I forgot who we were talking to, but they said that, that they have seen that, oh, it was, I was talking to Tara Rubin about this. And she said she saw a shift once the men in power started acknowledging that they were fathers and the responsibilities and the want and desire to be at the functions, as opposed to a time where maybe just the mom went and the dad was always at work or whatever. She's like, once the men started to say, I have this for my kid and I'm going to go do that. She's like, then it sort of gave 
permission. Which, let's be honest, that's a hard thing for those men to do, too. I think for such a long time, it was like, no, you don't ask. Totally. It is, it, this is what um, I do, and I don't take care. I don't yeah. go to the soccer game, or I don't go to yeah. this. So, I mean, that takes bravery as well. Yeah. Um, but it has to It has to shift. Yeah, but and I, I think, think it, it is, and I think, yeah. I was just going to say, I also think it's speaking to part of why this is um, – conjecture on my part but I think it's speaking to why we um, everyone feels so much busier and so much so mm-hmm. underwater sure. now mm-hmm. because it, I think in our parents generation there used to be more of a line of demarcation like the professional things the men handled and the home and children thing the women handled and now everybody has to handle all of it mm-hmm. and so I think we're constantly juggling um you know, Jason and I both say there are days where we're like, someone has to make a living. Like someone right. has to do the work. We can't both constantly be like, I'll do the groceries and you do the dishes and right. you do the drop off and I'll do the pickup. And then, yep. um, because at some point somebody, and especially as writers, I think I need like a four hour chunk of time where nobody's bothering me. Mm-hmm. And, and where, when do I get that where it doesn't feel like I'm denying you your time to do it? Right. So I, I, I mean, I recognize that the changing gender roles, um, are are benefiting women for sure and they're also part of what are making us feel buried totally totally oh absolutely (laughs) absolutely agree (laughs) oh my gosh buried is a very good way i think to describe buried yeah for sure i just have so much um respect and and in awe of what you do to be honest georgia like when i think of composers and book writers or you know, novelist, anyone yeah. who creates something. I mean, I know to a certain degree we create, but we're given the words to create with, you know, unless you're an improv actor, but I'm no. not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, and to think just now when you said that, that you're like, I need four hours to sit with no one bothering me. And I thought, oh my gosh, does the, do you feel the pressure? I mean, I know you feel pressure, but like, does that, when you said that to me, my insides sort of got all like jumbled, like, oh my God, the pressure I have to, I have to present something like four hours and I have to make, I have to have something on paper. Do you have that sort of pressure or are you now at a point in your career and just sort of in life and in general that you don't, it it doesn't feel like a, like pounding at you. Like you have to make this happen in this time. No, it, I do feel that, yeah. that you have to deliver. Uh, and especially the the more you're working um, either on commission or in collaboration or for theater, the more you have to deliver on certain days, uh, certain dates. You know, you have mm-hmm. deadlines. Um, but I think for me, I think that's part of why I need the space. Like there, you have to build into your schedule the days where you try to write and nothing comes out. Uh, or you write something. I mean, I had a day last week where I spent all day writing a song, and the next day I played the song, and I was like, this is horrible. This is, I'm like, I'm embarrassed by the song. It's bad. Oh. And I threw it away. I, started to, I mean, I, to be honest, I played it for Molly, and she was like, eh. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you need, to have, you need to have the time to create to fail, too. Yes, for right? sure, you do. For, because the idea that you're going to spend all your creative time making masterpieces is, right. is flawed. No. Like, we don't. Um, and for me, so much of writing is you write the first draft and then you live with it and you're like, okay, well, that's bad. And then we fix this and let me just edit this. And then, and then you write the second draft and then you make the demo and then the demo doesn't sound right. And then you'd reorchestrate and show, you know, so by the time you share it, it's already been through several levels of process. Yeah. Um, and so that the creative time require you just have to allow the time. Yeah. My problem is, um, is that because I'm so, um, passionate about so many things I, I'm on a lot of committees and yeah. I say when people say can you help me with this benefit or this thing it's for a good cause I say yes mm-hmm. and um, which is great for it you is as great. a person and a human in your soul <laughs> but also add that to the list of but, all yeah. the things but yeah. I think sometimes it's um, it, 
it, it's combined with my desire to say, well, then I can be busy, but I didn't have to face that four hour block mm. that, you know, I didn't have to go home and deal with me because I was right. like, well, I was on a committee and I had, you know, it was very, mm. doing very important things. Yes. Um, and so sometimes I literally have to write in my calendar, like, don't schedule anything, don't schedule anything. And those are the days that I'm like, all right, especially as I'm approaching a deadline that it just has to get done. Mm-hmm. Something, I have to deliver something. Whew. Oh my god! I know, pressure, <laughs> it, like my, my anxiety. I couldn't. I couldn't. Do, but it's. I have. I don't. But have I couldn't skills. do what you do. I mean, I think we right. are who we are. You right. know, we and and to some degree, they have. If I were a better singer, I might have. You know, when I was fourteen years old, thought that I also wanted to go be a professional. But I was a pianist, and then I had piano teachers who said, "Have you thought about writing?" And I, you know, that was where the path led me. And I think you keep having yes or no options until you get led to the thing that you're like, oh, I am really good at this. Like yeah. this is, and I, with me as a writer, I now feel like I, I have a voice that is, um, that is, that is not heard often. And, you know, and a lot of my songs are about from women's perspectives or in some cases, mother's perspectives or, but even when I write for women, for men, or when I write, you know, things that aren't about gender or parenting, I still think it's filtered through, a voice that isn't heard often. I would agree with that. Just knowing the music of yours that I do. Yeah, yeah, thanks. And so I think um, I feel the culture shifting to make more space for women and people of color and gender non-binary people and just people whose voices have not been been heard. heard. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I think that's good. I think that's very important. That's awesome. Well, thank you for all the contributions that you are making to... All the committees, all the committees, <laughs> Maestro Music, to, yeah, and exactly. you're really changing work. the world. And you, but, but that's no, how but you we are. do it. You, you are. are absolutely. That's how it happens, right? Is that people become um, passionate about things and about inequalities, and 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 we see a place where we can do better, and we want to, you know. Yeah. And so, thank you for that. Thank you. thank you for that. And thanks for joining yes, us. Yes, yeah, thanks so for much giving for me coming. time to talk yeah. to oh you. I love you guys. Of course, love, love you, too. girl. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Mama's Talkin' Loud. Special shout outs to Rachel Spencer Hewitt for our fabulous graphic, Kristen Anderson Lopez, Bobby Lopez, and Justin Ward Weber for our awesome theme song, our producers Dory Berenstein, Alan Seals, and of course, the Broadway Podcast Network for bringing us to you. If you like what you're hearing and you want to keep the conversation going, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook, and of course, subscribe and review us wherever you listen to your podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. Have you ever wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. We'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists, what they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There is enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.